We are so happy that you are able to join us for today's message. Our hope is that it will encourage you in your walk with God and inspire you to reach those who don't yet have a relationship with Jesus. For more about Global Heart Church, download our app today or visit us at globalheartchurch.com. Enjoy the message. I want to uh, talk to you today and just kind of tell you that this decade is meant to be a, a decade where you don't worry. Okay, there's a lot of stuff to be worried about. The coronavirus is out there and it's coming to a place near you, but guess what? It's not going to touch you. All right? Uh, here's the deal. There are a lot of things happening in the economic world, but inside the house of God, not inside the physical house, inside the house of God, we operate by different rules. We don't operate by the world's rules. We're not living by the world's standards. We're not under the world's principles. We operate by something far greater. It's called the law of grace. What the law of grace means, yeah, come on. Give Jesus. He is the answer to everything. So that's why being a Christian is such a cool thing, right? Because when you live under, under God, you live under God's grace. So what is God's grace? It's not just this nice term. You know, I asked someone one day, what's, what, you know, explain grace. Well, it's amazing. Well, that's not really doing justice to the word grace. The word grace really is the God, God's provision, God's power, God's supply. And it results in rest, rest in your soul, right? And it means to have peace. It means to have joy. It means to have purpose. It means to have a sense of assurance and confidence and boldness. That means no matter what's happening around the world, doesn't matter what's happening in the stock market, doesn't matter what's happening in housing prices in Perth, doesn't really matter because I'm under the favor of God. Now, grace means the favor of God. God's favor is poured out towards you. Therefore, it's no wonder that Jesus in his first manifesto on earth when he was speaking to the crowds that are oppressed by the Roman occupation. Remember, if they were asked to carry a Roman soldier's bag, uh, they had to do it. If they were asked to do certain things, they had to do it. They weren't free. They weren't able to do what they want to do. And Jesus comes with good news. The point about uh, about the churches, so often we come with rules and regulations and religion is what kills us. But Jesus never came with those. He came with grace. He came, it says the law came through Moses in John 1.16, but grace came through Jesus Christ. In other words, when we embrace Jesus, we receive grace. When we receive that grace, we receive favor. That word grace is the word favor. It's a gift. It's not something you earn. It's undeserved, unearned, unmerited. It's because God chose you. And because God chose you, you're under His grace. My children, guess what? They, they don't get a say in whether they get blessed by me because they're my children. They didn't choose me. I chose them. You know what I'm saying? They had no choice in the matter except to accept being part of our family. And the result of being part of our family means that they get favor. You know, despite the fact that I might believe that I'm fair to everybody else, I'm truly more fair to my children than anyone else. Why? Because they're mine. Here's the thing about God. If you're His, you're not under the normal rules and regulations. You're under His favor. You are righteous because of Jesus. And, and what we do is we confuse our world. Uh, uh, we're confusing our world because we start by grace. We can't get saved by ourselves. We can't find Jesus by ourselves. We've got to accept and receive Jesus into our heart. And then for some reason, we start trying to earn everything. We start trying to work hard. We start trying to feel better. And you got yeah, God says, this, listen, you can't earn it. It's a gift. 
You can't work for it. It's a gift. You don't deserve it because it's a gift. Gifts aren't not given for being earned. They're not given for being good. They're just given because I love you. And so God wants you to understand that this decade is a decade for you not to worry. Turn to your neighbor and say, do not worry. Do not worry. Let's read some of the Word of God, and then we're going to get into this moment where we try to cut the cake and not cut your hand. Now, Matthew 6 says this. Let's read it out loud, Matthew 6. Therefore, I tell you. Let's all do it together. You ready? Everybody can read English in this room? Let's go. Okay. Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life. Who of you by worrying can add a single hour to his life? Keep going. And why do you worry about clothes? Therefore, do not worry, saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles strive after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. Perth spelling for God. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Here's the first manifesto. It's an amazing in a church that you spell God with an E. It's incredible. It's God, not God. It's a must be the English accent that's coming through in Perth here. It's not God, it's goad, goad. Who thinks the guys on the, on, in the production do an, an amazing job? I do. I think they do an amazing, amazing job. They have served me all weekend so brilliantly. I've given them a 450 sermons. They've still got it all together. Thank you very so much. Maybe it was just my writing. Maybe I said goad. No, I'm just checking. I said God. Okay. All right, here's the deal. Jesus' first words are, do not worry. Do not worry. No worries, mate. It's God's desire made for Australians especially. No worries, mate. If Jesus was riding and he came to Perth, that's what he'd say. He'd say, no worries, mate. Stop worrying. You can't add a single hour to your life. You can't do any of this stuff. Now, he's talking to people that are economically oppressed, that are oppressed by Roman occupation. A foreign country occupies their land. And he says, don't worry. Right? It sounds stupid, but it's actually the manifesto of the kingdom because we're outside of those rules and laws because the kingdom of God is far greater. You know, the Bible talks about, uh, in Acts chapter uh, 2, Peter gets up and says, repent, all of you. And be baptized for the remission of sins. Now, the word repent just means change your mind. Change your mind. That's all it means. Here's the deal about God. When you're religious, you have all these things about God that aren't true. You think God's mean. You think God doesn't care. You think God doesn't want to help you. You think God delays your prayers because He's just not interested. You think that God's not intimately equated, equated with your problem. So the Bible says repent of that. Most of our things are repent of, you know, well, I've got to repent of smoking, I've got to repent of uh, too much drinking, I've got to repent of this or whatever it might be. And we list the list of things that we've got to repent from. No, repent of your attitude towards God. He is good. His name's not God, it's God, but He is good. <laughs> and He loves you and His grace is poured out upon you. Favor is yours and He tells you not to worry. Now, the word worry uh, or to be anxious, 
here in this verse in Matthew 6 and everywhere else in the New Testament is the Greek word merim now. Now we can put that up on the screen, merim now. Let, let me tell you what the Strong's Concordance says about this word merim now. Everybody say merim now. Okay, that was pretty close. Drawn into opposite directions. It says as a part as opposed to the whole. Divided into parts to go to pieces. Pulled apart in different directions. That's the Greek word for worry. And I began to think about this word and its power in our lives. And I want to show you using this incredibly large cake that I've been given today. All right? Could it be large? <laughs> I understand shops don't open till midday. Anyway, here's, what's that? <laughs> That's right. Last, last night when Pastor Jerry was asleep. All right. So, this is what, let's put that word up, Merim now, up on the thing, Merim now, Merim now, back there. Okay, this is what this means. It basically means, this is you, this is your whole life right here. Now, when we start to worry, let's see how this goes today, hey? When we start to worry about our finances, it's a tough job, someone's got to do it. A piece of you disappears. When you start worrying about your marriage, I can tell everyone's worried. <laughs> Another piece of you disappears, right? When you worry about your health. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm trying my best not to cut his hand off. Here's the thing, right? When you worry about these things, then I could list a whole bunch of other things that would be in that same category. What the Bible says is this, that word marim now means to divide portions of. Now I wonder why I'm so tired. Now I wonder why I can't focus. One now I wonder why I haven't got the energy I had before. Why does I'm sleepy all the time? Why can't I get out of bed? Why is it that I have all these pains and issues in my life? Why is it I'm not focused? Well, quite simply, that pieces of you are now have been taken away, portions have been divided from your life, and now you're not the same person that you used to be, which is why Jesus says, stop worrying. Because every time you worry, Merim now, you divide portions of your life into other places and you've got nothing left. It's why we get exhausted, why we can't be present in a conversation. Who's ever been on holidays with somebody and they said, uh, you're here, but you're not here. The lights are on, but are not, you're not home. Who's ever had that said to them? Spencer put his hand up because I saw his wife look straight at him when I said that. Here. <laughs> What's that mean? Pastor Jared has created Merrim now in Pastor Spencer. And so now there's a portion of him <laughs> that's not there. And he comes home from work and his wife's saying, where are you? No, I'm here. No, only half of you is here. Anyone re resemble that remark? And Jesus says, uh, tells us what things we worry about. Three basic areas. He says we worry about our money, we worry about our health, and we worry about our future. 
In that manifesto, I just read all those three things are the big three worries for our life. We worry about our health, we worry about our future, and we worry about our money. And those things divide us, and part of us starts to be missing out of relationships. Now, John 14 is a great story. You can just give me a little bit more monitor. You know, John 14 is a great story because in that story, uh, people, there was a swirl going around the city of Jerusalem. You could tell something big was about to happen. In John 14, uh, the disciples discover that one of their own, the person they love, Jesus himself, is going to leave. He's about to suffer. He's about to die. And they're together in an upper room, and they're having their last meal together. And they can feel, uh, they can feel the swirl of the city. They can feel the anxiety that's filling the atmosphere as all of hell unleashes its force to this moment where they're going to kill the Son of God. They're going to destroy God's uh, plan of salvation. And all of hell is in Jerusalem that night. And all of, they can feel it in the atmosphere. And Jesus opens chapter 14 with these words. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Believe in me just like you believe in God. If it were not so, I would have told you. But I go away to prepare a place for you. Then he goes on and he says this, All of this I have spoken to you while I am still with you. But the Advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have told you. Peace. I leave with you. My peace I give to you. I do not give to you as the world gives, which is happenstance and it's nice days and good things are happening. He says, I don't give like that kind of peace. I give you a peace that passes all understanding. Just do not let your heart be troubled. You know, there's something that we have control over in this process. Storms come and peace wants to be removed. A part of us wants to leave because Merrim now wants to divide us and divide our heart, divide our attention. But he says, do not let your heart be troubled. It's like this. If it, might be, if it was raining outside, it would be okay. We'd be inside and the heaters are on. It'd be beautiful. We'd just continue on with church. But if the rain started pouring through the roof and there was a big leak on the inside, we have a problem. How many believe that we might have a problem at that point? Okay, why? Because now what's on the outside has got inside. What Jesus is saying, do not let your heart be troubled. It may be raining on the outside. There may be trouble at work. There may be trouble in, the, in, in my relationships. There may be trouble in my health. But do not let it get into your heart. He says, your job is to not let it into your heart and then I'll give you my peace. Does that make sense? There are two parts, God's part, the supernatural peace, and my part. I'm not letting the rain get into my roof. I'm not letting the rain get into my bedroom. I'm not letting the rain get into my marriage. I'm not letting the rain get into my children. I'm not letting the rain get into my health. I'm not letting the rain to get into my, into my world. I've got to protect my heart. I remember talking to a friend of mine who, who was diagnosed with cancer and he went through six bouts of chemo and, and he, was, he had a huge church. He lost his church. His wife left him. Terrible, terrible story. And he said one of the things he discovered in the worst time of his life was what he called, which I love this word, the force of peace. 
You see, we think of peace as a kind of a, a passive word. Well, I'm peaceful, I'm tranquil, I'm calm. He reminded as the force of peace. Think about the force of peace this way. Jesus is out on the river, and we're going to talk about this in a moment, out the Sea of Galilee, and suddenly a, a raging storm, a massive tidal wave of waves are sinking the boat, and wind is coming everywhere, and Jesus comes up and says, be still. The force of peace is so powerful, it calms the trouble on the waters. That's why peace is not just a passive reluctance or sort of a passive acceptance of what's going on, but it's a peace that passes and pushes through and pierces the darkness and calms the storm. Ooh, peace. Here's the thing. Have you ever felt the force of peace? I remember going to the Commonwealth Bank one day with my son, I used to work in the Commonwealth Bank many, many years ago, and I remember going now as a customer, and I go with my son, and he's sitting on a, on, on a Lego table, and I'm at the counter uh, writing out my withdrawal slip. When in through the doors uh, burst two masked gunmen, stockings over their face, uh, uh, sawn-off shotguns in their hands, screaming and yelling like you see on a Denzel Washington movie, right? They're screaming to everybody, hit the floor! And just exactly like that. And I remember... As I went to the floor, and everybody faced the other way. That's what they always say. Don't look this way. Face the other way. So we all got down, obeyed their instructions, got down on our, on our knees, and then lay on the floor. I come face to face with a 70-year-old grandma, and that was more scary than the, the burglars themselves. <laughs> cheek to cheek we were for a moment. And the first words that come out of my mouth is, Jesus. Now, as I'm lying there, my, uh, between me, so I'm lying here, say, and the gunman, one's at the, at, the, at the door by the stairs there, and the other one's jumped the counter and ransacking all the tools for the, for the bank staff. And, and, and in between us, about over here, is my son. Now, he's not, I can't get him. It's been too quick. I'm now on the floor, and everyone's facing the other way, but except me, because my son's between me and the gunman's gun, which is about two foot from his head, half a meter from his head. And so I'm like, what do I do here? As I, as I mentioned the word Jesus, suddenly I felt peace. I felt this peace come down. I'm going to talk about it in a minute. This peace just come all over me. And the moment the peace came, the force of peace, all the fear left. So now I start talking to the gunman. Hey, mate, I hope you're having a good day. It's going to be a rich day. I, get, I can see that. Can I get my son? Hey, my son's over here. Can I get my son? No, mate, you leave that son alone. All these threats and whatever. I said, no, no, mate, I need to get my son. He's a little bit upset. I need to get my son. And at this point, I'm starting to debate. I'm actually debating. All the fear is gone, and I'm starting to debate, do I get up and rebuke him in Jesus' name? <laughs> and I'm literally having, and this is true, I'm not making this part up. I'm literally having flashes in my mind of front page of the newspaper the next day. Pastor, using the name of Jesus, disarms gunman with a very ugly stocking mask. But I wasn't sure if the devil was trying to get me killed or whether it was Jesus talking to me. So I just kept talking to him. Anyway, the amazing thing about this story was this little boy sitting here with a gunman right at the back of his head shouting and screaming, and not once does he turn his head to see 
and never ever sees the robbers. He keeps his eyes. So I start talking. Mark, look at me. Hey, Mark. He won't listen, but look at me, look at me, just look at me. And I start talking, right? Well, that's not the kind of thing that a robber wants. But I remember peace descended on me like a blanket. Physically felt the change. Physically. So when we talk about the force of peace, what that peace is, I felt peace. Not just this nice, warm, glowing feeling. Felt the power of peace in the middle of war. It was the abundance of grace. It was the supply of God's favor. You see, peace guards what grace gives. Now, it's really interesting if we go back to our, our teaching is that the word peace in the New Testament is a word called Irene. Let's put that word up, Irene. Now, I used to thought it meant it said Irene, but uh, as a girl's name, Irene, until I got you know, Google to give me the pronunciation, it's Irene, Irene, Right? And what does Irene do? Remember, we just talked about do not worry. What is worry? It's taking portions of and taking them away from the whole. What's Irene? Let's read what it says. To join, to tie together into the whole. It means wholeness when all essential parts are joined together. So what's he saying? He says, hey, do not worry. Do not allow troubles. Do not allow marriage. Do not allow work. Do not allow finance to pull out of your life pieces of who you are and get them focused. He says, because I leave my arene with you. What's my arene? Well, my arene puts the pieces back into the hole. The pieces into the hole. The pieces into the hole. Anyone want a piece? Okay, I'll throw it to you in a minute. All right. Now, in Luke chapter 8, we have three stories, one after the other, about the force of peace. Peace, peace, peace. All right. And let's say we're going to read the first one. It says this. One day, Jesus said to his disciples, Luke chapter 8, it's got three stories. So turn your Bible, Luke chapter 8. One day, Jesus said to his disciples, and let's see if I can do this in six minutes and five seconds. All right. Let us go over to the other side of the table, on the table, of the lake. My goodness. As they sailed, he fell asleep. A squall came down in the lake so the boat was being swamped and they were in great danger. The disciples went and woke him saying, Master, Master, we're going to drown. He got up and rebuked the wind and the raging waters. The storm subsided and all was calm. Everybody say calm. Calm. Where is your faith? He asked his disciples. In fear and amazement, they asked one another, Who is this? that he even commands the winds and the water, and they obey him. Here's the truth, everybody. He still commands the winds and the water, and they obey him. He still commands the storms, and they obey him. Now, the word galene comes from the, it's another Greek word, comes from the Greek word, the root word called galeo. And the word galeo, which is the word for calm, is the word laugh. So it says, the storm subsided, and all they did was laugh. That is, ha ha, look at this, it's amazing. Who's ever had one of those laughs? Sometimes it's a nervous laugh, oh, what, what, what happened? 
For that word galeo, calm, means to laugh. Here's what peace does. When the pieces are put together, you can laugh again. What God wants to do in 2020 is get you to laugh again. Some of have cried too many tears, and God's saying, I'm going to get you to laugh again. I'm going to bring you galeno. I'm going to put those pieces, that arena, back together. The cake's going to return to how it used to be, and you're going to laugh again. Oh, so awesome, the peace of God, the power of God. And, and so the second story is Luke 8, 26, the same chapter. It says, They sailed to the region of the Gerasenes, which is across the lake from Galilee. When Jesus stepped ashore, he was met by a demon-possessed man from the town. For a long time, this man had not worn clothes or lived in a house, but had lived in the tombs. When he saw Jesus, he cried out and fell at his feet, shouting at the top of his voice, What do you want with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I beg you, don't torture me. For Jesus had commanded the impure spirit to come out of the man. Many times it had seized him, and though he was chained, he had broken his chains and had been driven by the demon into solitary places. Jesus commanded the demons to leave. Listen to this part. When they came to see Jesus, they found the man from whom the demons had gone, sitting at Jesus' feet, dressed in his right mind, and what? They were afraid. Here's what happens when Arini takes place, when his peace becomes a part of our lives. We start to make the people around about us afraid. The peace of God on this demon-possessed man is so profound that the people who know the man get afraid. I don't know if you've been around people where the peace that you carry makes people nervous. Have you ever walked into a place and you're so calm, everyone's nervous? Like, what the heck? He shouldn't be nervous. She shouldn't be nervous. I mean, she shouldn't be calm. They should be nervous. I remember being interviewed one day uh, by the, an Australian newspaper reporter. And as we're sitting just chit-chatting uh, at, at a side room somewhere in, in Queensland, uh, she turned to me and she says, what's that? I said, um... What do you mean? What's that? She goes, no, when you're speaking, something comes out of you that's powerful. What is that? I'm thinking, well, is this a pickup line that I've not read about? <laughs> you're such a powerful man. <laughs> and I was a bit embarrassed, right? Because I'm like, I'm just talking normally. But what she feels coming from me is not normal. It's not natural it's supernatural what she's sensing from me is power this peace this arena she can sense it and so I try to in my fumbling way explain what's going on I said well, that, well that's that's I think that's God coming out of me when I'm talking to you it made her very nervous and afraid <laughs> right she's like whoa you're a power she goes you're a powerful man and I'm like what the next week, she got saved at Hillsong. So I sent her to Hillsong to check out. She lived, from, lived in Sydney, and she got saved. I caught up with her a few months later. She's all saved, born again, changed by the power of God. What was it that changed her? It was the force of peace. I didn't have to say anything. It was just coming out of me, arena, peace. See, when the man was in his right mind, and when he came before Jesus, having been filled with the arena of Jesus, the peace of Jesus, everybody around gets afraid. You see, every, I say to my kids, listen, never get worried when I'm ranting. But when I go quiet, be very afraid. 
This is now not emotional. Now it's just calm. It's called the calm before the storm, boys. Does that make sense? Then there's a third story, the story we know well, which is a story about the woman with the issue of blood. And it says this, as Jesus was on his way, and I've kind of put it all together so it's not too long. As Jesus was on his way, the crowds almost crushed him. And a woman was there who'd been subject to bleeding for 12 years, but no one could heal her. She came up behind him and touched the edge of his cloak and immediately her bleeding stopped. Who touched me? Jesus asked. In the presence of all the people, after she finally came forward, she told why she had touched him and how she had been instantly healed. Then he said to her, daughter, your faith has healed you. And then he makes this strange statement. Go in arene. Greek word for peace. Go in arene. Now we think that as a kind of like a salutation. It's like, ciao, bye. We think it's like the end of a conversation, but it's not that. As Jesus is making a statement to this woman who's just been healed, what could be better than being healed of a physical condition that's robbed you of all your social and all your ability to talk to people? What would be better than all of that? It's that not only do you get physically healed, but the trauma and the trials and the pain and the memory and the hurt and all of the stuff that's gone into that 12 years where you felt agoraphobic, where you know you can't leave the house, when you know it's impossible, suddenly all that memory, all of that trauma, all of that stuff that's got into your spirit and into your heart. He said, I'm not here just to heal your body. I'm here to heal your heart, to heal your soul, to heal your spirit, to heal your mind, to heal your trauma. And Jesus wasn't saying, hey, oh, great, we healed another one. Fantastic. He wants to heal every part of you. 12 years of pain, 12 years of trouble, 12 years of trauma, 12 years of abuse, all those things. You might be over it and you might look on the outside healed, but the memories and the hurt of what happened when you were a kid or a teenager still haunt your decisions, still affect where you go, how you perceive other people. And Jesus said, you know what? You've got some of the pieces are still missing. See, this woman had been healed, but still some of her pieces were not there. Merim now was still in her. And Jesus said, I'm going to give you my arene. I'm going to give you my peace. Now go completely, 150% whole in every way. You see, you think about what 12 years of bleeding have taken from this woman. Not only her health, but her anxiety had divided her heart and focus. And being healed doesn't put all the pieces back. It just makes you look like the pieces are back. See, there are people in this room that you look like the pieces are back, but it's not back. It's still divided. And Jesus said, I want to leave you my peace. And Jesus says, He says, listen, do not let your heart be troubled. Your part, my part, is to not let our heart be troubled, to guard our heart from trouble getting in. The secret is to protect the cake. The secret is not to allow Jared to come and steal a piece. The secret is not to allow anybody to come and steal some of that. Our job is to keep the rain outside, not inside. Listen to what it says, and I'll finish with this. 1 Peter 5, 7, one verse to read. It says this, Cast all your anxiety upon Him 
because He cares for you. This is what God wants us to do. Are you ready? God wants us to cast all our care upon Him. Cast all our care upon Him. (laughs) Right? The word cast means the word hurl. Hurl that thing down. I wanted this this sermon to be memorable, all right? Just, what do you remember? I got wet. My wig got wet at church. Here's the thing. That word cast. Jerry's like, what have I unleashed? Cast means to hurl it down with aggression. Not just go, oh, I'll have a sip and whatever. It's to chuck it down. That's how we deal with with a lack of peace. We hurl it down, cast all your cares upon Him. This is what it goes on and says, Be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion. He's not a roaring lion. He just sounds like a roaring lion. Looking, listen to this, looking for someone to devour. That means he can't devour everybody. He can just devour someone. He can't devour everybody because he's not a lion. So therefore, the devil works in the area of our emotions. He's been defeated on the cross, but he can still make us scared. He still can work in the area of intimidation. The Bible says, resist him standing firm in the faith because you know the family of believers throughout the world have been going through the same things. The devil cannot devour everyone. Is he devouring you? Or is he not allowed to devour you? He's only like a lion. He is not a lion. One of our pastors in, Australia, in Atlanta is from Zimbabwe. And he grew up learning how, being taught how to handle the different wild animals that come, the elephants and, you know, uh, the different you know, lions and so on. And he was telling me just the other week about how they were taught to handle a lion. They said, listen, you might be out in the bush playing, you might be doing certain things, and when a lion comes, he says, the thing you must not do is you must not run. You must look at that lion. You must stand, he says, and make yourself as big as you possibly can. And then he started describing, then you start yelling at the lion. You start screaming at the lion. And he said, and that's your best defense. Here's what that means for us. When the devil's roaring like a lion trying to steal my peace, I put my hands up in the air and I begin to shout the praises of God towards that lion. I begin to declare who Jesus is. I begin to say, He's stronger and bigger than you ever are. This is the God I serve. This is the God I serve. So come on, for 20 seconds, let's shout out our praise before God. Let's declare our praise before the Lord. We thank you, Lord Jesus, today. We declare it today. Oh, in the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus, the name of Jesus, the name of Jesus. Oh, mighty God, we declare you're wonderful, magnificent. There's nothing that can stop you. Lord, in the name of Jesus. Oh, Kisadata, we bless your name, Lord Jesus. We thank you, Lord Jesus. We thank you, Lord Jesus. We thank you, Lord Jesus. Here's the thing. The devil cannot handle a peace-filled Christian. He cannot handle a person with peace. It, It freaks him out, makes him lose his mind. That's why he's looking for people that he can devour not for people who are full of peace. He's scared of those people. The force of peace drives away the power and the bark of the lion. The roar of the lion is destroyed and dismissed 
by the force of peace. For more about Global Heart Church, download our app today or visit us at globalheartchurch.com.